Hello and welcome to Junior High. This is a podcast. I am doing this episode. This is episode one, I'm pretty sure. Before I really get into some of the actual topics that I want to discuss, I felt like it was important to share a little bit about me and my life and how I've come to start this podcast, um, come to feel like I want my voice to be heard about certain things. And I think, you know, it's, I sort of feel like if I'm going to ask anyone to listen to me talk, um, they deserve to know a little bit about who I am. So, so I just wanted to share a little bit. And so I'm just going to talk for like an hour about the last like five years of my life. I don't know how this is going to go. I hope that I can tell the story in a way that is interesting, but the reality is my life has been pretty boring. I mean, there's nothing has nothing super crazy has truly happened when you look at it. But I think that's part of why I want to talk about this because I feel like there's this misconception that to be spiritual, you have to have had something crazy happen, like a near-death experience, or you have to have, you know, gone to the depths of addiction and recovery or you had to have been abused or traumatized in some fundamental way. And I'm not saying that those things, that none of that happened. Some of, you know, chords of that sort of have been part of my life. I think as most people experience trauma and some form of addiction, um, some form of mental health struggle at various points in life. And I just kind of want to normalize talking about that and also like talk about my introduction to spirituality in a way that is really grounded in my like 3D um, human earthly experience. So all that being said, I think it's a, a good place to start would be 2016, which was famously the year that Kylie Jenner said was the year of realizing things. Um, to quote, she said, like, I feel like every year has a new energy and I feel like this year is really about like the year of just realizing stuff and everyone around me, we're all just like realizing things. So I'm obsessed with that, <laughs> um, prophet Kylie Jenner sort of, <laughs> sort of finger on the pulse of what was going on. Um, but honestly, I do feel like 2016 was a portal that was opened where things began to be unveiled to us. Um, truths began to come to light. Illusions began to shatter. And I really feel that way. Um, so I, I actually do think she was onto something. I don't know what was going on with her. But um, yeah, 2016 was big for me because I was graduating from college. I attended the University of Virginia, the famed academy in which subjects such as misogyny, classism, racism are all taught beautifully um, interwoven together in the lived experience of attending that university. Um, at some point, much like Gia Tolentino in her famous book of essays, Trick Mirror, I hope to have a whole podcast episode dedicated to UVA and my experience um, going there. I think it's it's just like a weird place and there's a lot to say um, that I don't have time to get into right now. But I will just note that it was not a very hospitable place for me, um, especially I think that no matter where I would have gone, I would have 
struggled in college. I just was, I just was unprepared for independence and just, it was hard for me. I, I want to get into that at some point too, um, in detail, but this is less about what any one thing or person has done to me and more about just owning my experience. And so I'll just say like, especially the last two years of college, I was really depressed and in a really dark place. Um, I felt like I was nothing. I was no one. My life was meaningless. I had nothing to offer. I was constantly berating myself. Um, and it was really difficult to exist. Um, in that environment, especially having that attitude. And I became very depressed. I almost never left my bed. Um, I, by my fourth year, I was sort of attending class, but like rarely, um, never really did the work. I managed to get by just by, I was an English major and I just knew how to write about books that I didn't really read. And I knew that my, my professors, I'm pretty sure, understood that that I was phoning it in um there was this one professor that I had who (laughs) I just would always skip her class I don't remember why because it wasn't that I didn't like it I just didn't have the energy to like get up and go and so I would tell her that I had a migraine which sometimes was true but like more often than not I was just saying that and eventually at one point she was like hey, um, you know there's doctors, right? <laughs> and I was like, okay, feeling attacked. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I was, I was not doing well. I was heavily addicted to a lot of things. Um, but I, I was never really aware of that. I was very in denial of my own experience. Um, I was, I just, you know, everything that was happening was, aligned with what I thought about myself. You know, I'm a lazy piece of shit. I can't do anything. I'm unmotivated. You know, I, I, all I do is smoke weed and chill and like, I don't want to do anything else. You know, I suck. And so that came to life in my, in my actions, my behavior reflected that. Um, but I would never have honored my own mental health experience. I just was at that time in my life, I, genuinely believed nothing bad had ever happened to me and that I had never experienced any type of trauma. I believed that I had just lived a very privileged life and that's true, but I wasn't really allowing myself to look at the bigger picture of like what my life had been thus far and, and really feel into that experience. Um, a lot of the things that I've come to realize in the last year and a half of quarantine, you know, really having to look in the mirror and look at your life, I think, um, you know, those were things that I wasn't really, I didn't really have, um, the capacity to understand at that time. So suffice it to say, I really didn't care about the direction of my life. Um, and I think, you know, thanks to privilege, I didn't really need to, I never was in fear of being homeless or not having food to eat. Um, and so I, I could afford to just like not give a fuck and just be super apathetic. And so that's what I was. And, coming out of college, um, I had applied to like two or three jobs. Like I was not looking to, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't trying. And while everyone around me was super type A, putting their blazers on for their interviews at Accenture and Deloitte and 
you know, all of these companies with very upsetting names. Um, I was just like, whatever, I don't care. I applied to one job that I had heard about through someone who worked there who I knew. And it was um, to work at a digital advertising firm in D.C. that did a lot of political work on democratic races and things like that. And I was that kind of piqued my interest because at the time, all I really understood about myself was that I wanted to do something meaningful and I wanted to be helping. Um, You know, things are bad right now. It's 2021. But back in 2016, you know, things looked really bad back then. (laughs) And that's what I mean by like the, the portal opening. Like, I feel like it was the beginnings of us realizing things and realizing that things were really bad. Um, and so it felt dire, you know, coming into the 2016 election, it felt like life or death, you know? And I was like, great. I want to be a part of this. I want to help and, and be, you know, politics are the way to affect change in this world. That's truly what I believed at that time. I don't believe that anymore. But um, (laughs) so I ended up getting this job after I didn't get it at first. And then I was like, all right, well, I don't care. Um, I'll just do what I was planning on doing and move home and whatever. And then they wrote me back and they were like, hey, someone has dropped out of the program. Um, Are you still available? And I was like... I mean, I've been in bed since we last spoke. So yeah, you could say I'm still available. (laughs) So I took the job and moved to DC and started my new life. And um, I have to say, you know, things with my mental health did start to improve after I um, got this job. And, you know, there's something about having to go outside and show up at a place every day that sort of puts your own bullshit on the back burner a little bit but that's where it was it was on the back burner it was not by no means was it um solved or addressed at all it was just kind of put away for the time being and things were getting a little bit better for me I was getting out of bed I was wearing clothes I was feeling like I for the first time I was feeling like I had a purpose and I was excited by that. Working in politics in Washington in 2016 was kind of a wild ride. Prior to to taking this job, I had gone from being someone in 2012 who wasn't sure if she was going to vote for Mitt Romney or Obama to being a full Bernie stan by 2016. Don't know how that happened, but I had a gut feeling that this Hillary thing wasn't going to go well, but I still wanted to believe that it could. And I mean, I didn't want to fantasize about her losing. You know, I didn't want Trump to win, but DC, I had never really been there or spent any time there, but working in politics in DC and in the democratic space, it, it felt like a bubble everyone sort of seemed, everyone sort of saw Trump as a joke. They didn't really take him seriously. It just felt like very insular. And I just remember working at this place, being surrounded by these people and these ideas. And I really wanted to believe in it too. I wanted to believe as much as anyone else did. And so I sort of did start to take on the 
energy of other people around me. And I was like, yeah, like fight song, you know, we can do this. Um, but I remember specifically this one time in the fall of 2016, I had made a couple of new friends and we were driving out to someplace in Virginia to go apple picking. And it was a beautiful day. And I remember it was about like an hour, an hour and a half outside of DC. And as the landscape transitioned from urban to more of a country vibe, I remember seeing a Trump sign on the side of the road. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. And then I saw another one. And I was like, wait, what? And I was like, this is right in our backyard. This is right outside. This isn't Kansas. This isn't Texas. This is outside of DC. You know, this is right outside of us. And I think that's the moment that I kind of realized this might not go our way. And we were maybe getting this really wrong. So election day approached um, and I came into the office on the day of the election thinking that there was going to be this energy of jubilance and victory in the air. And I walked in and it was just silent tension. The silence was only interrupted once when a group of girls on the other side of the room decided to play fight song just over and over by Rachel Platten. Um, And you know what? I just want to say quickly that, you know, in all the casualties of 2016 and the subsequent years, we forget about Rachel Platten's career and how it truly took a tumble after everything. And so RIP to that. I mean, I'm sure she's doing fine, but there's really no coming back from that, in my opinion. But yeah, I was, you know wearing my American flag sweater and ready to celebrate this big victory for us. And then that night we went to, we were invited to Google's headquarters, who was a vendor of ours that we had worked with advertising for the campaign. And there were decorations everywhere and there was a cake with Hillary Clinton's face on it. Um, And things were starting to look, feel a little bit better I love hearing people's stories about election night because we all had the moment in the night where we realized, where we realized things. Um, (laughs) And for me, like as soon as, as soon as Kentucky came in, you know, I was like, okay, this, yikes. Um, And then the night sort of unfolded as it did, you know, the dread set in and We were all frantically walking around trying to figure out what to do with our bodies. And eventually Google kicked us out and we had to go to some bar and many of us were crying, including me. And I went home before the results were really final, but we all sort of knew. And I just remember I got home, it was like 3 a.m. I was in bed crying and I just got like a text from this guy, this older guy that I worked with. And he said, I know something that'll make you feel better. And I was just like, this is Trump's America. (laughs) Yikes. 
So following the election, I found myself slipping back into old habits and old behavior. I was drinking and binge eating almost every night. Um, I would go to Trader Joe's like multiple times a week and just get like a shit ton of stuff for like charcuterie boards that I would then like put together and eat in my bed. Like I would just have like cheese and meats and crackers and bread and grapes and like all this stuff and like bottles of wine and I would just hoard them. I was like Dionysus like in my (laughs) compares self to Greek god. Um, (laughs) I was just fully spiraling at this point. I think so many of us were and you know, I was already tending towards isolationism, towards like a self-imposed solitude throughout college. I I felt like I was a danger to others and my emotions were too volatile to be in public. And and this was sort of a resurgence of that. Um, And so I would just sit in my bed and like watch episodes of Pretty Little Liars or like youtube videos of people trying on clothes i don't know it was a dark time um and it felt like i was back where i was like when i was graduating i was back at that same mental space and only now i felt like i was living in a much scarier world um but 2017 was actually (laughs) really interesting year um you know the beginning of 2017 had this vibe of like galvanizing you know we had the women's march and it just felt like we had allowed ourselves to grieve the results and now we were coming back with a vengeance and we were ready and you know there was this brief moment in time where it felt like everyone was on the same page you know everyone on the the quote-unquote the left um we were all connected through our mutual hatred of trump and that felt good it felt good to have this clear enemy Meanwhile, I had ended up getting a full-time job at this agency and was starting to work more on like a communications PR type of role. And working in PR, especially in a political space, basically requires that you be connected and like know what's going on in the world at any given moment. Um, The news was constantly on um, and to me I don't know if other people feel this way but like you know how in Rent that song Seasons of Love it's like measure your life in love it felt like we were doing that but instead of love it was mass shootings like there were so many mass shootings like between I would say like 2016 and 2018 it felt like it felt like there was a new one like every week and I was it just maybe it was because I was again just like surrounded by it but we were taking in all this information, but given really no tools to like emotionally process anything. And so I was just like in a constant state of, I think like passively in taking this very traumatic information. The other thing about my work, and this was the case for the next like two years, was that the main client that I had been working on, the topic that we were helping them out with and doing content for and whatever was climate change and this was really the first time in my life that I had ever really looked at that and I was realizing that it was really bad and that we were fucked and um at the same time it felt like 
the 10th priority on anyone's on any given list of you know democratic reforms not to mention that obviously trump was in office so things were actively getting worse um i think in his in his first and only term he rolled back like over a hundred environmental regulations um just kind of for shits and gigs i suppose so work was like very toxic i was in a toxic situation I had a new boss and like they were horrible and um the hours were getting really demanding and I wasn't even sure if I wanted to do PR and communications but I was just like I guess I'll give up my entire existence to this and like meanwhile be intaking all of this horrible panicking panic inducing information about climate change and sort of not have anywhere to put that And so I felt like I was going a little crazy. And then in my personal life, things were getting interesting. Um, I, like I said, I had been pretty isolated a lot of my, the last couple years. And that was self-imposed because I felt like a danger to people. And I ended up meeting someone in 2017 who started to change that. And it was sort of my like Shonda Rhimes year of yes vibes. I was starting to say yes to a lot of things because this person would just invite me to stuff. And just instead of saying no, I would say yes. And I would be like, wait, what did I just say? Like it was it was like such a weird experience where I was so used to saying no to people. And then yes was just like involuntarily coming out of my mouth um, when this person would invite me to stuff. And I was just like, fuck, I guess I have to like go to this now. <laughs> and... I fell in love. Cue I Hate This Part by the Pussycat Dolls. I have spent the better part of this past week attempting to record this part of the episode and deleting it because I have not been able to just say that I was in love with someone. Um, Also, the person that I was in love with was half real person, half fictional character that I kind of did create in my head. You know how like a centaur is like half man, half mythical creature? So that's sort of what this person was. Um, Dude did not like me. Dude did not like see me that way. We were like friends. But at the time, you could not convince me that this person was not obsessed with me. Like it was the – and I think that's part of why like love is such a common entry point to like awakening and consciousness and stuff because – like especially when it goes badly you are forced to like reckon with the fact that your reality and someone else's reality both exist and are valid and true but like they don't align you know like they're they're they they are opposing um so (laughs) but I want to get into at some point I want to do a whole episode about like men and my relationships with men and like especially stories around men because I do think a lot of what happened here was like rom-com tropes like narratives and shit from culture gaining access to my ability to discern like what the fuck was going on and like to I mean to my emotional state like I just there's so much to get into I think like one of the big things was that I had been 
it had been drilled into my head from honestly my parents that the only thing men are ever going to want from you is sex. Do not think, do not mistake any man's kindness for actual interest in you for even friendship. Um, all they want from you is sex and just kind of like accept that, uh, which is so depressing and so sad. But like, this is something that, that I heard like verbatim from my parents. Um, and we'll get into that at some point, I'm sure. But I think with this person in particular, I, I really felt safe with them because it didn't feel like that's what they wanted. And it was just like a friendship that was rooted in like our personalities working together well and like making each other laugh and it being like fun and casual and funny and cool. And like, it was because of my own, like, I think fear of men. Uh, let's just call that what it is. I had not really allowed myself to get super close to, to a lot of men in my life. And so this was just like a weird experience where I, I felt like really close to someone emotionally, but it wasn't romance but I was like mistaking it for that and it was it was really confusing um and it'll it'll come back around in a couple years time so I just it was an important part of the story and important for me to talk about um but I don't want to harp on it too much because uh this person aggressively does not want to be part of the narrative and I want to respect that so yeah moving on back to the safer and easier topic of America's descent into political chaos in August, there was the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, which obviously was horrifying. And then shortly following that, um, the Weinstein stuff happened and Me Too sort of kicked off. And these two things were, up until that point, there were certain certain truths that I was still holding. And one being like, the country is fundamentally good. We are on the right track generally. Trump is just like, a flaw in like the political code, you know, like Hillary didn't go to Wisconsin or whatever. Like I just, I sort of, these things were bringing me to a realization that this shit ran so much deeper than politics would, would lead us to believe. Um, There were fundamental cracks in the very foundation of our country and no amount of legislating was going to get us out of them. And so even as I was working in politics and still feeling like I wanted to do that with my life, I was starting to become disillusioned with politics in general and DC. And I was, I was just kind of, I was starting to lose faith in politics as a way to affect change. At the same time, uh, this guy that I was in love with starts dating someone else, which, um, of course, I sort of see as just like a beautiful obstacle in the romantic love story (laughs) that was unfolding. But at the same time, you know, I was pretty like, okay, what am I doing here? You know, like if I don't have this and I don't believe in politics anymore, then like what am I even doing in D.C.? At the end of the year, I'm like, there's nothing here for me. I just need to leave. So in 2018, I decide that I'm going to move to New York um, and I make it happen. And I moved there in May. And the first night in New York, 
I was walking home and I stepped out into the street and I almost got hit by a cab. A cab was just like barreling towards me and stopped right before it hit my body and the guy yelled at me and I just remember feeling like euphoric (laughs) and that was when I sort of understood that I came to New York to be destroyed a lot of people come to New York to find themselves and that's the same thing um to me I started dating in New York and I, I, when I moved to New York, I basically was like, great, um, time for me to become a fundamentally different person and never reckon with any of the shit that I know to be true about like the way that I see myself, the shit that I had felt in 2016 and before in college that I had refused to address. I was just like, I'm just going to leave it in DC. I'm just going to leave all of my baggage in DC and just going to move to New York and become a different person. I'm going to become a girl who wears stilettos and goes to clubs and orders like cosmopolitans or something. Like I just, I had, you know, all of the mythos of New York I had very much internalized. And this is sort of a theme of my life is just like the way that culture and stories have become part of my DNA And where I truly feel like if I live in New York, I will be a, I will be a main character. Um, And I think like a lot of people have that when they move to New York. Um, It's just very like a, it's very, you know, basic white girl vibes. And I own that. I respect that. I, and so I started dating and went on a date with this guy who I was like, this is my soulmate. (laughs) I was really obsessed with kind of calling guys my soulmates went on one date with him it was an amazing date his name was Stuart (laughs) he was just cartoonishly my type like to the point of like what am I what is there something I'm missing here like there's too good to be true energy but I wanted to ignore that of course but he was like funny and nice and well-read and had this great job and British and he went to Oxford and I was just like this is this is him like this is who I'm supposed to be with like this is you know the leading man of this story and I was like you know it's so crazy that people think it's so hard to date in New York because I went on one date and I found someone (laughs) So yeah, turns out, according to a couple of listicles on Thought Catalog and BuzzFeed, um, he's a sociopath. I do find that out later. Um, Obviously, I'm joking. I cannot diagnose anyone with that, but I do think listicles are a good way to start, a good place to kind of find your, you know, your first opinion. (laughs) Um, I do think he's a sociopath or just a very traumatized person with a lot of issues that will probably never be solved. Maybe he will. Maybe he's doing great right now. I hope that... I actually wish ill upon him. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I hope he's doing well. I think he lives in London now. Um, Not that it matters. But... (laughs) So, basically, my New York experiment was not working. 
I unfortunately learned that I could move to an entirely new city and be the same exact person that I always was. And I was pretty annoyed by that. So at the end of the year and beginning of 2019, I decided something needs to change. And I decided that I wanted to pursue something creative. It just felt like I didn't know what I was doing with my job. I was still in the same at the same company and I was wanting them to fulfill. I was wanting this job to like fulfill something for me that it wasn't. And so I wanted to explore something else. And I decided to Google just writing class and found the first one. And it was this fiction class and I took it and started writing fiction. And it was really great. It was like an amazing outlet for me. Um, And the whole time I am writing about my own experience and I'm, I'm writing directly from my own experience and it's very gratifying to me to not only write from myself but also have it be seen by others and be engaged with in a way. Um, so I start to get the inklings of a dream the last dream that I really had for myself was when I was like eight, nine, ten, you know, like dreaming as a child. And writing was igniting that again, that creativity and that spark and that desire for something greater than what I was doing. So that all is like percolating. And then, so over the summer of 2019, a couple of things happen. I end up going to Hawaii for a work trip, if you can believe it. Um, There was a climate conference that I was helping staff and the irony of having like 200 mayors fly from the mainland US to Hawaii for a climate conference was lost on absolutely no one, least of all me. But I was, I went on this trip and you know, it was pretty run-of-the-mill standard uh, conference, except that at the on the last day, there was a speaker by the name of Dinoa Thompson. He's a native Hawaiian, and he's um, a navigator. And I was just, like, so moved by his words. And not even his words, actually, because I, I don't even remember what he was... He was talking about navigating, and and... There was a a metaphor, I think, in there about, you know, the ways that we navigate the rough ocean and the ways that we lead each other through crises here on Earth. And but more so than that, he was the first person that I had ever really been around who just had such a high vibration. You could feel his you could feel it. It was it was just overpowering. It was overwhelming uh, to the point where I had to like leave the room and go outside and like cry and like take some deep breaths because I was just so overcome with emotion from the speaker. And I had spent the better part of two years immersed in the language of climate change and, and kind of seeing all of these like American white people try to grapple with it and hearing this native man just speak so eloquently and beautifully about how we need to work together 
it was just it was just overwhelming for me emotionally so the other thing that happened that summer um I think this podcast is just maybe going to be like me telling the most embarrassing shit that's ever happened to me and that I've ever done in my life which yeah I guess that's totally fine um I happen to still be sort of hung up on that guy from earlier who I mentioned was half real person half fictional character except at this point in time he was more like 95% fictional character uh given the fact that we did not keep in touch like we were not friends um actively after I left DC I just we didn't keep up and um that was great for me because it allowed me to sort of weave a narrative that was completely divorced from reality um love that love 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 and (laughs) I don't know what I was trying to do but I was like I need closure or like I need to just like get this out or like I need to know the truth or something and I was I knew that I was going to be we were going to be in the same place um for this like group trip that was happening in July of that year so I went on the trip and uh immediately upon getting there I was bad vibes it was bad vibes I was like this is not gonna go well I was highly highly anxious and like at this point in life I I really hadn't had a ton of anxiety I feel like I'd had a lot of depression and I was pretty familiar with that but I wasn't I didn't yet experience the joys of sort of um, anxiety coursing through my veins and so that was like should have sort of been a red flag I had also told uh, both my therapist and my sister who is a psychic medium I I had told them that I was going to be doing this and like having a conversation with this person and both of them were like this is going to be bad. My therapist was like, you are not living in reality. And I was like, you're stupid. And then my sister like gave me a tarot reading and she was like, this is going to be bad. And I was like, wow, it's weird how you and my therapist are both stupid um, right now. (laughs) When usually you are like the people that I go to for sage advice. And actually you guys couldn't be more wrong about this because I am right. And I know my experience. And, um, yeah, so I, I sit down with him and, and basically proceed to, for the next 30 minutes to an hour, try to convince him that he secretly loved me. Um, and him just sort of repeatedly saying that that was not the case. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been just kind of begging someone to love you who doesn't love you. Um, it is one of the worst, one of the most pathetic uh, feelings you could ever have. Um, but this conversation was so eye-opening to me because it felt like there was just something about just begging someone and like clawing for like evidence to like show this person, to like, convince them that they were wrong and that they actually do love you. It's like something about that it's so debasing and such a low low moment that it forced me to realize some shit and I think for me the rejection felt like a mirror of it felt like looking in the mirror and telling me telling myself that I didn't love me and I I realized in that moment that I that I didn't love myself and that this was coming from a place of like needing this needing someone to love me but also subconsciously understanding that this was not a person who was ever willing or prepared to do that and like 
not once did they ever indicate that that was what was happening. And I recognized that moment as like a a moment of like true self-betrayal, honestly. I f- it felt like I was going into like a barber shop and asking if they could detail my car. It was just like that that could never we don't do that here. You know, like I can't do that for you. <laughs> was that an insane metaphor? I don't know. I mean, it just it became obvious to me in that in that whole the whole exchange. It became obvious to me that you know, the stories I was telling, the fiction of it all, the fact that my therapist and my sister were both right. All of the illusions that I had propped up in my head, they were like a house of cards that just fell, just completely fell down. And um, honestly, it was what needed to happen. And I'm so like, as much as it is so embarrassing to talk about and to relive, I wouldn't change it. Like I needed to have that. And it has been, it was a massive catalyst for me. And it just it completely accelerated my like awakening process. Um, And I'm, yeah, just incredibly grateful for that experience as much as it was truly, truly, truly so, so, so cringe. Um, Okay, moving on. I go home and um, sort of lick my wounds and immediately I start Googling Brene Brown. I don't know who she is at this point. I had just heard her name and... I just felt like I needed to know who she was and what she was about and just started kind of binging all of her content and just try to make myself feel better, I guess. Of course, like I say that I'm going through this spiritual awakening and shit, but like it looked really bad. I looked like I was sort of in shambles and like the following weeks I started doing weird things with food, like because I was like, maybe if I just like get really skinny and hot, then like he'll love me. um insane and yeah it was it was like kind of a dark time for a second but like I was coming out of it I was clawing my way back up from rock bottom and then I my I was talking to my sister um the same one who gave me that tarot reading from before and she was telling me that she was about to go on this uh trip to Peru and um it was like a spiritual group that was going. And I remember just being like, oh, that sounds amazing. That sounds like exactly what I need right now. Like just a getaway and like a just a place to go and like be off the grid for a while. And um, but of course, like the trip was had been full for a long time. And I was like, well, maybe next time I'll do something like that. That sounds cool. And then like a week later, I get a text from her and she's like, hey, so are you serious about wanting to come? Because someone from my group just dropped out and she's selling her ticket and it happens to be the person I was supposed to room with. And I was just like, what sorcery has just occurred here? I just felt like I had said that I wanted to go and then immediately the door had opened for me to go. And I was like, um okay and even even then I was like still hesitating um but I ended up feeling like you know the universe was telling me I needed to go and at this point I'm actively talking about the universe doing things for me um and I'm kind of becoming one of those girls 
love it. Um, (laughs) And I was like, well, the universe wants me to go, so I guess I'll go. I was very much cracked open by this trip. I was crying every single day. I did two ayahuasca ceremonies where I, the first one, nothing was happening. And everyone else was in, you know, these crazy experiences. And it felt like there was so much energy in the room. And I just felt like I was laying there waiting for something to happen. And of course, in my mind, I was just like, oh, like, of course, not even, even ayahuasca doesn't love me. Like even ayahuasca, like doesn't think I'm worthy, you know, of this experience. And I just get so upset that I start crying. And then as soon as I start crying, it's like, game on. (laughs) And over and over, I was just hearing, you're a baby. You're a baby. Cry. Babies cry. So just, just cry. And I felt like I was being like rocked in a cradle the whole time. And the whole, like I said, the whole rest of the trip, I was crying every single day. I didn't know what I was crying about. It was just like constant releasing and shedding of layers. It felt, um, And then at the same time, like going to all these sacred sites and participating in ceremonies and like doing grid work, which, you know, I'm not super well versed on what it is. And I, as I was the youngest person in the group and, you know, as Ayahuasca said, I am a baby. So I have a baby's understanding of what grid work even is. Um, But that's what we were doing. And it was cool. And it was fun to be a part of it, even though I didn't know what we were doing. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so then I go home and I'm like so sad to leave Peru like I never want to leave um at the same time I got a job offer which would basically be I would basically be doing the same exact thing that I was doing at my agency but I would be making like a double the money And I didn't know why I was hesitating. It just didn't feel right. It didn't feel aligned with my values, but I couldn't, I was having a hard time saying no to the money. I I was just having this crisis of like, if I say no to this, if I wasn't going to take this job, that was basically the same thing that I was currently doing, then why am I still in my current job? Like it made no sense. And I was like, okay, well, some, I, I feel like I'm at this like fork in the road where I can't just like stay here if I'm gonna, I can't, I need to, something needs to change. And like I said, I had been writing a lot over the past year and I was feeling like I I was good at it and I was wanting to like dedicate more time to it. So basically I decided at the end of the year that I was not going to take the job and that I was going to leave my current job and I was just going to take some time off and focus on me and recalibrate and figure out my life. And so I gave myself a little bit of a runway and was like, great, I'm just going to, you know, I don't really have the infrastructure to work from home right now, but I know that um, I'll just, you know, I live in New York. There's so many coffee shops and places to go and you see where this is going. You, you see it has just, it has just crossed over into 2020. You see where this is going here. My last day of work was March 6th, 2020. And I mean, instantaneously, I was like, what have I just done? (laughs) At the same time, I 
started dating someone seriously for the first time in years. And um, it's a woman, which I had never dated a woman before. I knew that I was not totally straight, but I just had never really pursued um, my sexuality in that way before. So I just want to say also as a quick aside, I feel like my queer journey was um, not as big a part of this episode as I expected it to be. Um, I think just because nothing was really happening with it for so long and it didn't really start until 2020. Um, I, I think that this podcast is going to dive into a lot of these topics, like the things that we're deconstructing in society, like race, gender, sexuality, etc. Um, so I do want to get into more detail because, you know, my experience with queerness was like, sort of understanding that I wasn't totally straight while also feeling like the approval of men was my number one priority. And <laughs> I didn't really know how to square those two things for a while. So clearly I have a lot to unpack in this regard. Um, and I kind of just wanted to add a little asterisk here because, um, yeah, it feels like this is like an afterthought and I don't like that. Um, but ultimately I'm not good at podcasting. So forgive me. Anyway, I digress. As soon as I get back from Peru, it's like, quit my job, brand new queer relationship, pandemic. <laughs> it was a lot. And then, you know, like everyone, the lockdown and this entire past, you know, now year and a half has been a time of really intense self-reflection and healing and introspection and spiritual exploration um I've just done I just had nothing but time you know to like really think about my life um for me the pandemic ha at first was obviously really scary and horrible um but there was a, a part of me that was like relieved that people were finally developing a sense of urgency about the state of the world because having been in a state of like climate panic like for the previous four years I was feeling like sort of gaslit by just like people not giving a fuck and so there was something about the pandemic and all of us agreeing that this was a crisis and that we are dealing with multiple crises um it was like sort of refreshing in a way um at the same time I spent the majority of 2020 just getting constantly triggered. Um, you know, I think a lot of us did. Just, you know, being in close quarters with people, et cetera, et cetera. I don't need to tell anyone what this experience has been like. But it, it has caused me to have to adopt a lot of, like, healing stuff to just, like, exist. I've had to, I mean, I started taking therapy really seriously. I was, I was in therapy before the pandemic, but... Um, I just started taking it really seriously and being really intentional with it. And then like I started meditating and doing like breath work and yoga. And, you know, I think that because I haven't been in a full-time job, I have had the time and like the capacity to like actually feel my feelings about this shit. And I feel like whenever this pandemic does end, I mean, who the fuck knows what the world's going to look like, but we are all now 
fully traumatized. Like it's, it's not, there's no going back from that. You have to heal through it. And so like having been through trauma from childhood and shit, which a lot of us have had that too. Um, but I can see the ways that certain people who have full-time jobs just like haven't been granted the ability to actually look at what the fuck is going on with them. (laughs) Um, and I guess that's why I want to do this podcast because I don't know, I, I'm not suggesting that I know any more than anyone else about like trauma and shit. Like that is by no means what I am saying. I guess, I don't know. I just think that there's going to need to be a lot of us who are helping heal the collective. And I don't know, that that would be cool to do. So, <laughs> so I'm doing it, whatever, like stop. <laughs> the other thing that's been happening over the last year and a half is that as I've healed my traumas, I have awakened to, you know, the true nature of reality, whatever you want to call it. We create our own reality. We live in a video game. We live in the matrix, et cetera, et cetera. I do want to articulate at some point, like my, where I come from with all of it. But ultimately to me, the name of the game is heal your trauma so you can figure out what you think about the universe. You know, you can figure out how you can come into your own understanding of what, what, this all is, why we're here, what your purpose here is. Like, you know, I think all of us are going to ascend. We are going to ascend and I believe it. Um, and I'm here to help. (laughs) So, um, I'm going to end it here just because I don't, we're not getting into the material. It's syllabus week. We're not getting into the material yet. So this was just an introduction. Thank you for being here. Um, If you made it this far, you are a true champion, and I cherish you. Um, But I will see you next time.